Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Karen Stefano, author of the story collection, The Secret Games of Words, and I'm delighted to have with me today Tobias Carroll, author of the novel Real. Toby, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, just super today. Uh, how's, how are things in Brooklyn? Uh, things look they're pretty good. It was after about two weeks of incredibly uncomfortable heat and humidity. We seem to be in a, you know, an actually pleasant spell right now, which is kind of a reminder of why people enjoy the summer. I, I myself am more of a fall and winter person, but walking out now, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is actually decidedly pleasant. I don't feel awful. And, uh, there's blue sky and, you know, I'm not cold. So. Yeah, it's 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 good to walk outside and and think to yourself, hey, I I don't feel awful. That's sometimes that's the sometimes that's the best I can do. How are things in California? <laughs> um, they're they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Uh, I want to jump right in because I have a lot of questions for you, and. Okay. For those people who are listening who have not yet had a chance to read real, would you give them a little taste? Uh, tell, tell them what the book's about, and then if you're if you're in the mood, I'd like to ask you to, to read for a few minutes. Yeah, of course. Um, so real follows the lives of two people who uh, meet at a punk show in Seattle. Uh, one of them is named Timon, who works for his family's company, verifying whether strange historical objects are actually real or not. And one is a woman named Marianne, who has sort of been traveling the country and settled down in Seattle, but is starting to wonder if uh, perhaps it's time for her to move on to a new place again. And so it follows each of their lives as they kind of do and don't intersect from this brief moment where they come into contact and sort of take an immediate dislike to one another. Uh, so, and uh, I'm going to read a short section here uh, that's from sort of late in the book, although I don't think it really, uh, it doesn't really spoil anything, and uh, sort of follows one moment in uh, Marianne's life. So, here we go. There was a woodblock compass that Marianne had carried with her since her time in Texas. Two days before finishing most of the work on the introductory map, she had purchased a small canister of light gray paint for work. She immersed the surface of the wood in this paint, then withdrew it and let the excess fall away. When paint was taut over surface, she brought it above the smaller map, a collage, layers of years' worth of maps, contemporary and historical, certain paths gouged out and altered, newspaper photos xeroxed and colored in by hand, and placed it pushing down with an even pressure. Her seal, she thought, and pulled the woodblock away, leaving the navigation on her ersatz chart forever set. It was 10.15, and she felt a craving for air. Leaving the piece stabilized, she walked down the steps to the street below. It was a Thursday night, and quiet. From another street, she could hear cars in transit, ghost drives propelling themselves from block to block, fading before she could consider them in full. There were things she considered saying. It was a late enough hour that friends who might be reasonable recipients of those words would be turning in for the night, would not welcome a transmission from her apartment to theirs. 
an inefficiency of collapse. More lost words to be dispersed into air or, if the fit was correct, subsumed into her larger atlas. But words carved or typed onto a stable surface would not restore this night's hollowness. That was a deferred fix, an installment plan cure for solitude, patchwork and unsteady on its feet. In the end, she went to a bar and sat alone, hoping to avoid awkward conversation and running two, three, four versions of how that might go in her head. The rye she drank went down quickly, and she did not order a second. Aside from the usual pleasantries with the bartender, not someone she knew, she spoke a total of five words in her half hour there. From there, home, words unsaid to an undetermined partner still hanging precariously in midair. So, so yeah. Wow. Uh, I like it. You're a, you're a fabulous, you're a fabulous reader. Thank you. I, I feel like I, it's weird. I mean, I, I did a lot of, you know, I've done a fair amount of traveling and touring with the book, um, sort of late last year and then earlier this year. So a lot of that was also just finding out, um, what in the book sort of worked well, uh, sort of read out yeah. loud and what could be self-contained and yeah. what was not. Um, so, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how some stuff is great on the page but it just doesn't translate for a reading for for whatever reasons. Uh, in in my own work in my collection, some of my favorite stories I I never I never read from because it's just it just doesn't it just doesn't work off off the page and, and voice to voice. So yeah, uh, it was when yeah. I was so, yeah. touring through the mid. Oh, sorry. No, 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 I was just gonna say you, you figure it out. Yeah, definitely. When I was touring you, in Midwest and yeah, Southwest, yeah, there was a lot of discussion of that, of sort of like, what worked, what didn't. You know, should should I try to not repeat myself every night, or should I kind of go with what works, you know, what works well? And ultimately, I, I sort of went more in the, all right, I think this works well, and given that, by and large, I wasn't reading to the same crowds every night, it, it sort of was like, well, it's it's going to be new to the folks who are in this city, so, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 an organic it's an organic process that way. I I wanted to comment. Uh, Sarah Gerard gave you uh, a wonderful blurb, and it appears on the front cover of Real. And part of it reads, "When youth ripples out like a dying sound wave, what takes its place? What delivers new thrills and keeps us in motion?" And this, it, it, I thought this was a, a, a great frame for the novel. And I wanted to ask you what you think takes the place of youth and what do you think delivers new thrills and keeps us in motion? It's, it's a question I've been asking myself a lot. I, I recently turned 40, so I kind of have been having this, like, I seriously have these moments of like, oh man, I'm wondering about this, and I'm going, oh, I'm having a midlife crisis. This is this is literally what's happening. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I have to I have to interrupt you there. Um, a, uh, I I met you at BEA a couple of months ago, and I would never have pegged you uh, as forty, and as someone uh, who 
was once 40, you're getting no sympathy from me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so, so. As far as, oh yeah, so, so as far as youth, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing because, you know, it's like, especially when I was in my, my twenties, you know, I went to see a lot of live music, which is something that kind of comes off in this book. And I still try to go see live music, but it's definitely, to some extent, it's changed to some extent, you know, as someone who enjoys loud guitar, you know, a lot of like loud guitar based music, it also, while I still enjoy a lot of the same music that I listened to when I was 22, it also becomes harder and harder to hear someone who's doing that that feels fresh, where there'll be a lot of points mm-hmm. where I'm listening to something and going, okay, I like this, but I remember a band 20 years ago that did this same style much better. And, you know, and I mean, I feel like that's just the nature of music. I remember bands that I liked. 20 years ago where friends would go, yeah, these guys are okay, but, you know, you know, Dag Nasty did that much better, you know, in, 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 in the 80s. So, you know, I think, I think that's just kind of a cyclical thing. So I think to some extent it's still trying to find a connection to those things that, you know, that I, that I, that I was drawn to and sort of still trying to find ways to keep that relevant. But, you know, I'm, I'm also a single person. I do not have children, so I don't, so I feel like for some people, maybe, you know, parenting and kind of discovering uh, kind of discovering this sort of a very different role in their lives seems to kind of be what takes the, what, what takes the place of youth. And, and that makes sense for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I feel like I've tried to find it sometimes in. Sometimes maybe in travel and, and going to, to find new things. I think some of it is weirdly like I've gotten really into soccer in the last few years. So I don't know if that's kind of something that, you know, has, has kind of taken this place for me. Um, I'm not really sure because it is, there is that definite sort of ongoing trying to find something that gives me that sort of feel of something fresh and new and also a little bit unnerving. I mean, like the first time I listened to a Fugazi record, it scared me in a in a good way. The first time I listened to a lot of punk bands, I felt like I don't know what's going on here, but I really like it. And so th- there's definitely that that desire to find something else that affects me, that sort of that mixture of sort of being unnerved, but also finding something really enjoyable. Um, and I don't know. And I think it's just a lot of it, it's pretty hit or miss. It's trying new things. It's going new places. You know, it's it's listening to and watching and reading new things and just uh, and figuring out. You know, and, and just finding and just listening to my gut, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, it's uh, it's not so much music, but it's it's definitely art, art in the form of the of the written word and trying to be an artist but it's yeah it's an interesting question and and one that i imagine i could ask to every person on the planet and each one would have a slightly different answer and the 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 kids thing is interesting because i i would guess that every parent would say they're their children and it, when you don't 
have children, uh, it's not it's not a, a void, but it's it's uh, it's it, it you have more opportunity and I don't know what I'm trying to say. Just it's kind of like you're less on autopilot and because I, I, my, my boyfriend has three kids and it just, it, it, it sort of consumes your, your life. And when, when you don't have children around you, you have to, you have to deliver your own new thrills. And so I think, I think for me, and it sounds like for, for you a little bit, it's that the answer is, is art, but it, it's interesting because being an artist is hard. It, it sucks some days and there's the rejection, there's the sacrifice, there's sometimes the poverty and sometimes the worst thing of all, feeling like, God, nothing's happening. And so, yeah. so it's, so it's an interesting question. So I was really, I, I, I really dug that, that, that blurb a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I had so, a great moment with that blurb. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. I had that. So I was, when I was traveling, um, late last year and doing some, some readings in the West Coast, I was staying uh, near the LA Big Book Company. The, my reading was at uh, Finney Books in, in the Finney Ridge neighborhood of Seattle, but I also was staying near Elliott Bay, and so I got in and, and went there and took a quick look and saw that they had some copies of Real in Stock, and then went back the next day and went to the information desk and sort of said, like, hey, you have my book. Do you want me to sign it? And they said, oh, yeah, totally. And then the the bookseller who was on duty in, in at Elliott Bay had worked with Sarah in Brooklyn. He had previously worked at Greenlight in, in Fort Greene. So it was this very, like, he's like, oh, Sarah Gerard blurbed your book. I used to work with her at this bookstore. And I'm like, I know that bookstore well. I helped stain some of their bookshelves. And it was this very weird, like, of course, to wow. people with ties to Brooklyn Literary Link Up in Seattle. That's pretty wild. I love, I love that when there are those artistic connections. I, I wanted to ask you this is and this is related to my last question. Your your characters, Tymon and Marianne, they in the novel are forced, as we all are at some point, to confront their fears and to confront their anxieties. I wanted to ask you the overly personal question as to whether you've had any experience with that. Is there anything personal on that front that you'd be willing to share with everyone listening? Hmm. You know, I'm not sure because I I don't know that um, there are moments where I would say necessarily as neatly as it might happen in a novel where sort of something, you know, I'm kind of presented with something and sort of, and I'm looking at something and I go, okay, yes, I have to deal with, with this. I mean, I think, you know, I would definitely say I have anxiety about failure and there have been, you know, any number of moments where, you know, one, you know, I, I have had to confront failure, whether it's, you know, in terms of whether it's an artistic failure or, you know, the, the failure of a relationship or, um, 
yeah, the, or the, the failure of sort of personal connection on some level. Um, so I think in terms of, of things like that, yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of my anxieties, some of my anxieties are more sort of lifelong. So I feel like to some extent, this is going to sound incredibly morbid, but like, you know, am I going to have like a massive, con- you know, confrontation with certain anxieties in the split second before I die, uh, which is which is more something that kind of that keeps me up all night. Um, I don't know. It's it you know, it's it's a difficult way. It's you know, it's a difficult sense to lean uh, in terms of. Um, it's a difficult thing to kind of uh, figure out in my own life, just because I don't have that sense of perspective on it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living it, so I don't. Miss, and I, right. I have a couple of friends who write, you know, more personal essays or memoir, who I think are a little bit better at getting a sense of sort of finding an arc to their own life um, in a way that I don't necessarily have the ability to do as well. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that makes yeah. any yeah. sense, but it makes it makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting too talking about the arc of your own life. I'm, uh, I guess, I'm a little bit behind in in my reading, but I have a copy of the best American short stories, 2016 edited by uh, Juno Diaz, and I was just reading his introduction yesterday, and in it, he talks about his life, and I'm paraphrasing here, but in a way, he, he, he says that some people's lives are novels, and they have that kind of narrative arc, and he said that he felt like his life was a compilation of connected short stories, uh, and that it had, it, that it, it wasn't a novel at all. And so it's interesting because, because it's, uh, made me think, well, what's, what's my life? And what's my best friend's life? And it's, and, and I think, oh, her life is definitely a novel. It definitely has that, that arc. And, uh, and mine's definitely a collection of barely connected short stories. It feels like sometimes. So anyway, I don't uh, I don't know that that's 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 salient uh, to, to to what you were saying. But you you know you were talking about your memoir writing friends and and how they have a better handle on their own arc of fears and anxieties. And that's that's what you made me think of. Um, so let me shift gears here, uh, back to Tymon. Uh, Tymon and his family are, they're in a pretty interesting business that you mentioned. And yeah. I wanna, I wanna read a little bit from, from the book and what, how, how you introduce this, this business. Yeah. Tymon's family was in the business of verification. I love that line, by the way. Uh, they were consultants of a sort, hired by clients, generally individuals rather than institutions, to delve into the history of notable objects, to ascertain whether certain suppositions about them were or were not accurate. 
They dwelled in a world of artifacts rather than one of fine art. They did not sniff out forgeries or subject paint-shrouded canvases to chemical and x-ray analyses. Tymon understood that there was some precedent for this. An uncle of his had taken on a few assignments of this nature, but that the firm's founder, Tymon's grandfather, had discouraged it. That's for others, Tymon, at 20, had heard him say. Our work lies in the artisanal, in things forged and manufactured. Leave art to the scientists and critics. And so they had. And I, I love that passage, so that's that's why I I wanted to to read it for for everyone. But Toby, tell me what was the inspiration for this choice? There were a couple of different things. I I think I wanted. I mean, stylistically, real is 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 a slightly stylized novel. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a as an entirely realistic novel. And one of the inspirations I had when writing it was uh, William Gibson's novel Pattern Recognition. Um, in that book, the protagonist sort of is hired as a consultant by various places to, like, analyze brand logos and sort of tests her reaction to them. And so I, you know, and having read that book years ago and having really liked it, I was like, well, this seems like a very, perhaps not, you know, in the way that William Gibson writes about it, it doesn't necessarily seem like a completely realistic, like, yes, someone in the real world would totally have that job who has this sort of bizarre psychological condition. But, you know, it worked for me in the context of that novel. So I I wanted I wanted Timon to have this job that sort of kept him in a fairly isolated position, and I wanted to kind of give him a reason to interact with all of these strange objects. And so that seemed to kind of fit really well. I mean, and I think it also, as I began developing the character, I wanted someone who would have all of this incredible esoteric knowledge that would have no necessarily, like, that just, he would amass it on layer upon layer upon layer, um, sort of for good and for ill. So, yeah. that's kind well, of where all that came well, from. Yeah, well, well done, well done in, in in the book. I like I like how you handled that. And it, it's it's interesting when I when I sort of honed in on this business and wondered what what the inspiration for that choice was. It reminded me of the podcast I did probably a month or so back with with Heidi Barnes who. Uh, it was also published by by Rare Bird, and she's the author of The Bellman. And we started talking about jobs, and we were talking about our our first jobs and what that says about a person. And it's so frequent to go to a party, and the first question that somebody asks you standing around in a circle is what do you do and we were saying what the more interesting question is what what did you used to do what was your first job and what was your first job uh i'm going to give a two-part answer to that um my first (laughs) job that was just any kind of a paying job was a summer job installing lawn sprinklers in suburban new jersey which i did for a, a couple of weeks one summer um, which was, you know, in the middle of a brutally hot, brutally humid New Jersey summer. I remember just sweating profusely and, uh, 
and drinking a lot of Gatorade and like, yeah, just digging holes, tearing up sod and, and, you know, laying down pipes and, and sprinkler heads sort of on these giant palatial, you know, riverfront homes, uh, of people who had a ridiculous amount of money. The, the first like rent paying job that I had, uh, after I, uh, the sort of job I had when I moved to New York, uh, after college was working, basically working for a dot-com in the late 90s, sort of in the middle of sort of the first big, like, dot-com boom just before everything started to implode. And that was a really, it was a strange job in that uh, I had gone to school to study film, and then in the middle of that I realized, after having worked on a couple of independent films, I kind of realized... You know, I don't know that I actually want to work in the film industry. And so a, a friend of mine in college, you know, who had said, well, you know, you should just look to work, you know, online. You know, there, you know, you know, if you are reasonably intelligent, you can probably get a job doing something. So I got this very random job uh, looking at it. It was kind of like doing support for the advert for, like, the sales department. Uh, and it just involved, like, basically running queries into a database all day and telling people, like, yeah, if you want to advertise, like, on this part of the site, this is the ad inventory we have. It was, in retrospect, incredibly boring. Uh, yeah, I was, but, sorry, you know. I was going to say, that sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, 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 bo- my boss, who hired me there, was, was great. Uh, she and I remain in touch. There are a couple of folks from that era that I that I stay in touch with, but like yeah, in retrospect, um, I did yeah like I just you know 2017 me is kind of horrified by you know various there were there were various things that yeah like it was it was just a strange uh, and yeah. it also very much kind of. Uh, Made, made me very aware of the sort of dueling impulses of, uh, you know, sort of not even editorial and commerce, because there wasn't really a lot of, like, there wasn't really an editorial part of this website, but, like, the sort of, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was a very really strange it, time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think that, I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing here, but it, and maybe I'm, I'm projecting a little bit, but, I think the 2017 you is just different from the late 1990s you. I know, I know I, I have a completely different life than I had during that, that time period. And it's just, I think it goes back to what, what I was saying before about is your life a novel? Does it have the traditional narrative arc or is your life kind of a hodgepodge of short stories and, and, yeah. and maybe we're the hodgepodge of short stories. Yeah. And, and speaking I, of stories, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about volume one Brooklyn. You're the managing editor and I just yeah. wanted to see if you could Tell everyone listening a little bit about this publication. Yeah, of course. Um, so Volume 1 Brooklyn was started by my friend Jason Diamond, who had a memoir come out last year as well, uh, which, uh, which is highly recommended. Uh, I kind of came on board a couple of months later, and we've been running it ever since. We 
you know, update regularly over the week with uh, interviews, book reviews, um, sort of collections of links to things we like on the Internet. We run Sunday Stories every Sunday, which is uh, short fiction and sometimes memoir, and we run essays biweekly on Wednesdays. Uh, and, yeah, we're, we're open for submissions, uh, and, yeah, we... Uh, yeah, and we also do a fair number of events, and we've done a couple of short chapbooks as well. That sounds yeah, great. Now, so, so tell me Jason's last name again. Diamond. Okay, and what's the name of his book? His book is uh, Searching for John Hughes. Okay, sweet. So yeah. uh, after everybody reads Real uh, by Toby Carroll, they can, they can check out Jason's book. Definitely. <laughs> um, I I wanted to ask you, Toby, my my new favorite question. Uh, uh, everyone who's been listening to all the pad- podcasts that I've done in 2017 knows is just is part of the regular repertoire now, and it's the question that I stole from the Sunday New York Times book reviews interviews, and it's. The question I never felt was at all relevant until last November, at which time it has felt critical, more critical every day. And that question is, if you could recall our president, and I don't say President Trump because I would throw up a little bit in my mouth, uh, if you could require this person to read just one book, what would it be? It's it's an interesting question. It's something that I've been that I've been sort of thinking about a lot when I've you know when I've kind of seen that question. I think the thing that that scares me to some extent is uh, like I I don't feel like he has a tremendous amount of self-awareness and I'm not so, I would love to go with some sort of ironic, you know, some sort of like book on the dangers of authoritarianism, but like, I don't necessarily know if he would get that or a book, you know, (laughs) with, with lessons on humanism. And I don't know that he would get that either. Um, You know, as, as opposed to, you know, I think almost every president beforehand that I can think of, whether I liked or disliked them, I think had some sort of sense of self-awareness and some sort of sense of, uh, you know, wanting to be liked and, you know, not wanting to, you know, infuriate large portions of the of the population. So, I don't know. Um, there's a part of, you know... Um, I'm kind of glancing around the room, and I'm trying to, yeah, because it's it's a really it's a really difficult one because I wouldn't. I also feel like if yeah, if you said like, hey, this is a really dangerous thing about authoritarianism, you don't want to give someone that, and then going, oh, this is great, this is this is absolutely brilliant. Right. Like, no, that's no, this is a cautionary tale. That's not a good thing. Um, I don't know. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. What is what? Let me ask you what 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 kind of uh, what kind of response like what what have people recommended in the past? Oh wow! Um, 
my my favorite answer well it's hard to say i mean everybody's given everyone's given such a such a unique unique different from from their own unique point of view but i would say that my favorite answer uh came from david yulin and it he said it's not a book but if I could require him to read one thing, it would be the Constitution. And that was and, – and subsequently, um, a couple of months later, I was talking – or a month or so later, I was talking to Shauna Mahan. And she kind of stunned me by throwing the, the question back at me. And I, I had it, – it is a very difficult question. At the time, I hadn't thought about it myself. Or to the degree that I had, I had just a huge laundry list because there are so many, so many books out there that would benefit this person. Uh, but I, I ultimately too said, said the Constitution and, and, mm. and I guess, and I guess I'm staying with that choice. But yeah, I, I mean, I can walk over to my bookshelf right now and say, no, 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 wait, uh, I, he needs to read, uh, Freedom from Fear by Kennedy, uh, David M. Kennedy. He needs to read, yeah. you know, uh, th- this side of despair. Uh, he needs to read a Confederacy of Denses, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, any, a- a- anything. So it, it is a tough question and I, and I appreciate that. And it's, and that's why I've had so much fun with it this year and, yeah. uh, and, and, and have enjoyed everyone's answer so much so you know we have a little bit a tiny bit of extra time and so i i wanted to ask you going back to your novel real you do a great job in the book of making seattle and the surrounding areas almost a character in the book and while i know from having read your acknowledgments that that you obviously spent some time in these areas but but you really did make place a character and i was wondering how did how did you accomplish that how did how did you how did you make that happen on the page you know i mean a lot of it was just sort of drawing from my drawing from certain memories of it i mean i i knew i wanted it partially to be set in belltown um, some of it just came from like the point at which I rem- sort of became because I feel like when I first went to Seattle, I was largely staying sort of in the Belltown area and sort of not really going to like the capital, going to Capitol Hill, or not really going to anywhere where I would need to sort of climb the sort of inclines that are that that Seattle is on. And so I think I think sort of one of the first places the novel that that parts of the novel emerged from was just this like feeling of just trudging uphill to get from place to place in Seattle and going, oh my god, this is this is kind of terrible. And these sort of random thoughts that went through my head. So so that sort of became the first thing. And then you know, I had a I had a loose sense of where certain things were in my brain relative to one another. And really I just kind of wrote uh, you know, sort of based on that and and hoped that uh that I wouldn't get anything hugely wrong. Uh, my friend Marie Case, who's 
from Seattle originally read the novel before it was published, and, you know, she had good things to say, and she also did not get back to me and go, by the way, Toby, you have completely misrepresented the city of Seattle. So I kind of, I kind of took that to mean that, like, I hadn't screwed anything up terribly, terribly badly, and, and kind of, you know, moved on from there. And, uh, I don't know, um, although I, when I, when I read in Seattle, I very consciously did not read from uh, a part of real that was set in Seattle because I was worried mm-hmm. that someone was going right. to like stand in the back and scream like liar and I would <laughs> immediately get flustered and like run into the back room, you know, sobbing. Uh right. So, so yeah. Right. Which yeah, is all I, I mean I, I realize that I get it. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Well uh so, Toby, with that, I uh, I guess it's time for us to conclude our podcast, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. And Real is a terrific novel, and w- where can people buy it? I know it's in in various bookstores around the United States. Is it yeah. uh, also on Amazon? I think, I think literally it's available wherever books are sold. Uh, you know, indie bookstores right. should be able to get it. Larger bookstores, and it's available in uh, ebook format as well for sort of whatever your e-reader of choice is. All right, sweet. Well, well thanks again, Toby, and uh, say hello to Brooklyn for me. Thank you, Rich. Thank, thanks you. Thank you for uh, all the, the great questions.